Don't you love seeing a baptism? It's one of those one of those moments. There are many, but also there are maybe not that many, where you see like tangible before you the demonstration of what God's done in a person's life, the testimony of transformation, seeing it happen, and then celebrating all of that in this one really great event. It's, it's fantastic, and it's wonderful that it that's happened this morning. We're, we're finishing this morning our series called Come and Follow, which is looking at stories from Luke's gospel of Jesus called a whole variety of different people to come and follow. Going to jump into that parable in a moment, but um, glad the muffins are going around this morning as well, because I want to talk about food for a moment. Who likes food? Yeah, I think those who didn't put their hand up are probably lying. Um, I do too. Sometimes people tell me I don't look like I do, but I do. Food is great, and it's been food has been at the at the heart of culture and society pretty much since day one. You know, if you want to get to know someone, if you want to honour and value them, if you want to in, invite them in, and you know, express express friendship, those sorts of things, doing that with food and over a meal is right across cultures since day one. The way it's so often done. So, when you get you put on your imaginations for a moment and imagine that you are doing something you've probably done before, which is hosting a party. You're going to invite your 20 most closest family and friends, the people who in your life mean the very most to you. 20 people. You put out the invitations and you're planning for this thing weeks in advance. You spend a couple of days beforehand in the lead up planning your house. You spend half a day shopping for all the stuff you're going to need. The day before, you're doing all the food preparation as much as you can. And the day of, you're kind of just putting those final touches on it, the roast in the oven, all of those sorts of things. You're getting everything just right. You want to offer the very, very best of what you have to these most important people in your life. So the evening comes, your 20 guests all arrive, they're seated and they're chatting in your lounge room and the moment comes where you're able to stand up and let everyone know that dinner's served and that you're inviting them into the dining room to share the meal together. What happens next is one by one your guests make these really, really bad excuses and reasons they can't stay. They offer their reasons, they offer their excuses, and their excuses get worse and worse, and they're just pretty much plain insulting, and so much so that the last couple of people that leave don't even bother with a reason, they just kind of walk out the door. Wouldn't happen, right? And if it did, you're confused, you're angry, you're insulted. That's a 21st century scenario of what's happening in the parable, in the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. It's right at the heart of what happens here. I want to reference, as I did a couple when I last spoke, or perhaps the time before, a book which I'm um, drawing from this morning. It's Jesus in from Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It's a book by Kenneth Bailey, which brings the parables and a lot of the other stories in Scripture and the New Testament to life. And I want to read, reread the parable now that Jane has read. But there's a lot of with the parables. There's always a long backstory. Jesus doesn't speak into a vacuum. He speaks into a very clear and very strong worldview for the first century uh, Jewish people. There's a lot of a backstory to this one. The context for the parable that he tells, he's, he's talking about a banquet while at a banquet. He's been, inviting, he's been invited out to dinner by some Pharisees. These are the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They've invited Jesus along because they want to check him out a bit. He's this traveling teacher. He's perhaps not been in town that long and they want to check him out. They want to understand who he is. They want to hear a bit of his teaching and see if he fits the mould. Nothing unusual in them doing that. It was quite a normal thing for them to do. But that's what's happening here. 
So this banquet is happening, if we read back further before what we've just heard from Jane, we would see some other things that have already taken place. Jesus has healed a man, strangely almost goes unnoticed, you think that would draw some attention, but he's healed a man. He's also done what he so often does and challenged some of the norms of the day, the way people are thinking, their, their cultural assumptions perhaps. It's all the usual Jesus sort of stuff. And then he points out that when you host a banquet, it's better for you that you invite people that can't return the favour. It's better to invite the needy, Jesus says, because there's actually greater blessing in store for you when you do that. And on the back of that that comment, one of the people at this banquet spots an opportunity to dig a little deeper into this Jesus guy. And so this man says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's not a statement out of the blue, it's actually an invitation for Jesus to share his views about what this man has just said. It's an invitation for Jesus to talk about his view of the kingdom of God and its Messiah, its Saviour. Jesus responds, you know, out of all of that context, and he responds to that invitation by telling this parable. The thing is, the, the conversation about the kingdom of God, it's not a new one in Jesus' day. It's not a new concept or a different idea that he's come up with. And the metaphor of the kingdom of God being like a banquet isn't new either. It actually goes back about 700 years. Been around for a long time. It's actually really, really deep within Old Testament and Jewish thought, this idea that at the end of history as we know it, the final fulfillment of God's kingdom would include this great banquet at which all God's true people would be present, sharing in it with God, sharing in it with the Messiah, the Saviour. It was the prophet Isaiah who first spoke about this, about 700 years before Jesus' day. And we can read of his prophecy in Isaiah 25. It's going to be up on the screen. I'll read read just a part of it to you. Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It's a prophecy from Isaiah speaking of the Lord's great banquet, which would take place at the end of human history when the kingdom of God is fulfilled and completed in a sense. It's the day where death's going to be at an end. Tears are going to be wiped away. It's the Lord's glorious day of salvation and peoples from every nation of the earth are going to be present. Jew and Gentile alike, all invited to participate. This is God's people with him forever in eternity. It's this incredible picture of of what is in store, of in what's ahead. The problem was over the centuries, Israel, God's people, had lost the vision. Well, actually, they hadn't lost the vision, they just... They turned it into something very, very different from what Isaiah had, what he saw. We know this because there are other, there are other Jewish writings around from around the time of Jesus, non, non-biblical writings, but, but it gives us some insight into what the people of the day were thinking about this great banquet. The book of Enoch, for example, non-biblical, but Jewish writings from close to the time of Jesus. It speaks about this same great, same great banquet with the Messiah. And it affirms that, yeah, the people who are going to be there. Yes, they'll be there from all the nations, Jews and Gentiles, which is simply 
anyone who's not Jewish, they're all going to be there too. But do you know why the Gentiles get invited, according to the book of Enoch? Anyone want to have a guess? Sorry, to serve the Jews? Kind of partway there. Um, it's, but it's worse than that. The, the Gentiles get invited so that the angel of death can slaughter them. And God's people get to watch on and, you know, enjoy the scene. You know, everyone knows that God hates outsiders, right? This is what the Jewish thought was by the time of Jesus. And the scene's going to be so gruesome, we're told, that God's true people, they're going to have to wade their way through the blood so that they can take their seat at the table. So you see what's happened? This incredible vision of Isaiah completely flipped around. This grand, inclusive vision where people from all nations get a seat at the table, flipped around, and it becomes this thing of exclusion and vengeance and payback and death. It's a, it's a tragedy. Jesus knew full well that that's what his audience at that banquet thought. He knew that they believed that the, that day would come where God would wipe out the Gentiles. And their thought was that they'll be the only ones left to enjoy eternity with the Messiah. They reinterpreted the great banquet. Jesus knows that this is their thinking and surprise, surprise, he doesn't like it very much. So he tells this parable. Read you the first part of the parable again. Remember, he's been invited to talk about his view of the kingdom at this great banquet. And Jesus reply to that invitation, he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. These may kind of sound like they're legitimate excuses, but they're not. They're plain insulting. And the way this worked in the culture of the day was that the invitation to a banquet like this would go out well in advance, similar to us. We'd put out the invitation so that people could be free to attend. Back in the day, those people would make their pledge to attend. They'd do their RSVP. That's probably different to now where we don't do so much of that. But they would let the servant know to let the master know that they were going to come. And then on the day of the, of the event, of the banquet, they, the servant would go around and, and round up all of the people uh, to gather them for dinner. So the commitment is made. They're going to be there, these guests. But then when it comes to turning up on the day, they offer these pathetic excuses. It's not that they can't attend. They've actually decided that they want to publicly insult and shame and shame the master. It's very, very deliberate and calculated question if you're hearing this parable back in the day, the question in your mind will be, how's the master going to respond? The people there with Jesus, they think they know how the master's going to respond. You know, he'll protect his honour, he'll, he'll fight back, he'll, he'll seek vengeance and do what is his right to do, given the insult he's faced. That would be their expectation. But the parable goes on, on quite differently. The parable goes on like this. The servant came back and reported this to his master, reported the rejection. 
The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. This is the most important part of the parable. This is central right, what's happening right here because the master being God, the master's been disregarded and rejected and insulted. We know the true master, of course, would go on to be beaten and spat upon and ultimately crucified. Yet the master in the parable manages to turn all of that anger around, makes a response not of retaliation or even of vengeance or even just self-pity. He turns all of that around and he makes a response of grace. Isn't that so typically God? Tells us so much about the nature of who God is. It tells us an awful lot also about who we're meant to be. Master's invitation gets thrown back in his face. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't quit. What does he do? He widens the invitation. And when he does that, he takes the risk that he might get rejected again. Now, what if the same thing happens? So in the parable, the servant does what he's told. The the favoured guests have rejected the invitation, so he goes back out at the master's command to invite all the common people of Israel. These are the people who probably are going to gladly respond because they didn't actually deserve the invitation in the mind of the people. They're not worthy of it. These are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, people who had no opportunity to ever repay the favour, ever repay the invitation. And so the invitation goes out. The second invitation is now out with no regard for social or economic or religious standing. Story goes on. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but still there is room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, says Jesus, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the final instruction from the master to the servant is go even further. Go to those who you never even think would get a seat at the table. Go to the people who are nothing like you. Go to the people who don't even deserve the invite. Cross every boundary you can find. Heck, if you have to, go to the Gentiles, Jesus says. which would have been nothing short of a disgusting suggestion to the people who heard it. So Jesus has implied that at the great banquet, at the end of history, there will be people from every tongue, tribe and nation. Jesus is making it clear that the invitation to come and follow, it goes out to all. It's remarkable, this short little story, one little parable, and in the face of 700 years of assumption and exclusivity and bias, Jesus renews that vision of Isaiah. He widens the invitation to what it was always meant to be. And he says, all are welcome at the table. And he warns as well that actually it might be those of you who think you're the closest and who think you have the most right to attend. It might just be that you're the furthest away. And it might just be that those who you think are the furthest away are actually the most likely and the most willing to come. The thing about the great banquet, 
that Isaiah talked about, the same great banquet that Jesus talked about, it, it's already begun. The kingdom of God is here and now, as well as, as it is in the future. And it's Jesus' banquet. He's the master. The invitation is out there. It's open and it's broad and it's inclusive and it's offered to all. This is a great place to finish this Come and Follow series because this parable asks us a number of very clear questions and I want to suggest four that may apply to us. The first is the most obvious one, which is to ask, first of all, have you responded to your invitation? Second is to ask that maybe are you one of those people who said yes to the first invite but you kind of backtracked before the party even got started? allows us to ask as well, are we willing to take the risk of rejection by inviting someone to the banquet, especially if you felt the sting of rejection in the past? Remember, it's the servant in the parable who carries the invitation. And last of all, it asks us, who is the person or who is the people to whom we could extend an invitation, but maybe our assumption has been that it's not meant for them. They're outside of the scope of the invite. But we remember here that, of course, as Jesus says, the invitation is limitless. Come and follow is the invitation. It always has been, it always will be. There is a seat at the table, and we'd love to talk with you this morning, this week, anytime, if any of these things and any of these people may be you. We'd love to talk to you about that response. One thing we can be assured is that the banquet is going to be great. It's the Isaiah version of the banquet. It's going to be fantastic. It can't be shut down. The invitation has gone out. The gathering has already begun. And still there is room. So as we finish this series, I'd love to offer a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have this um, constantly before us, this invitation to come to you, to turn, uh, to follow, to commit our lives to being your people, following Jesus and being formed in his His image and likeness. Uh, it's an invitation to this great banquet which, you know, the invites are out, it's already begun, um, but so much more is ahead. Uh, we thank you again for Reza this morning who has responded to that invitation and taken his seat at the table. Uh, We pray for others in this church family or beyond, people who we are offering that invitation, your invitation to, um, inviting to the table. Uh, We pray that we would know our place and that we would find room for others that we know is there. Uh, We look at Isaiah's, Isaiah's vision of what this will be and it's a glorious day of celebration and of joy. It's not a day of death and decay and mourning. It is the future that all of history is pointing toward. Our desire, as is yours, is for all people, as many people as possible, to be at that table. We commit ourselves and our lives and this church family to you, to being people who who seek what you seek and want what you want and invite as you invite. For each of us, as we do that in the ways and places and in the relationships that we're able, we pray that we'd be able to take the risk of rejection and... Uh, put the invitation out nonetheless, uh, trusting to you those who will respond. We thank you for this wonderful story. We thank you for the vision that is behind it and the future to which we are heading. And we pray in your name. Amen.